This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our purpose is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my aim, as always, is education. Hello, class. How's everybody tonight? Now, before we start today's class, I actually have a couple of announcements. So the first one, this is actually kind of a big announcement. My podcast host, Buzzsprout, has started a new program. And basically what it means is Yens can support me. It's kind of like Patreon, only hopefully it'll work better. I had some problems when I tried to make Patreon. But what you can do is I'm calling them teacher's pets. So if you want to be a teacher's pet, what it means is you pay me every month a recurring fee to like support me and you get to pick the amount. It's whatever you think that you can afford. And everybody who signs up will get a shout out every episode. If you want to sign up for this, all you have to do, and I'm hoping that this works. I know it works on Spotify because I checked it. As far as the other platforms go, I'm not sure. But if you look in my show notes, there's going to be a link, a hyperlink in there, and it'll say Buzzsprout Support. And if you click on that, it'll take you to my Teacher's Pets page where you can sign up for however much you would like to support me every month just to keep the, as I like to say, the lights on in the classroom. And don't worry, you can get out of it anytime you want. The second announcement is something I thought of that we could do. Now, if you ever went to college, or maybe you didn't go to college, but maybe in school your teacher would do this. But if you were like me and didn't pay attention, you might have missed this. But a lot of times when they start class, a teacher will say, okay, the objective of today's lesson is to blah, blah, blah. And it'll be to learn about specific, I guess, like teaching points. So I'm going to start doing that, lesson objectives with each episode, just to bring the education theme, I guess, a little more to the forefront and to keep me on track, to make sure that I remember that the purpose of this is to teach something and to just kind of guide me as to what I want to make sure everybody learns at the end of the episode. So this lesson, we have three objectives. Well, we don't actually know for sure. So I'm going to say explore the reasons that women become sex offenders. The second is to explore the relationship between teaching and sexual predators. And third, and probably most important, is for those of you who are parents or have other loved ones in school to teach yourself the signs of predatory teachers and how to keep your kids safe from them. Now, imagine you're a parent. I bet a lot of you are. Imagine your kid is a 13-year-old boy. I know some of you have had them. Some of you have been one. Now, imagine that you find out that your 13-year-old son is having sex with his 27-year-old female teacher. What would you do? What should you do? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's set the scene. 
were in the beautiful state of Arizona, specifically the city of Goodyear, which is in the western suburbs of Phoenix. This is in Maricopa County, and this town was established in 1917. The school in question is Los Brisas Academy. It's an elementary school of about 550 students, grades kindergarten to eight. Now, that to me, I don't know about you, like the school you went to, that seems like a lot of grades in one school to me because you got the little wee kids and then you got the eighth graders who are almost teenagers. And if you look online, and I did this just for fun, the school has reviews and it has a 4.7 out of 5, which I guess is pretty good. And I wrote down two of the comments that people made. One of them is, quote, isn't this school where Brittany Zamora taught kids? The other one is a five-star review, and it says, quote, it really cool. Apparently, they don't teach English at this school. Now, the victim in this case, being a child, is only known as victim A. So we're going to call him Adam, A for Adam. He was 13 and in sixth grade at this Las Brisas Academy, and his teacher was Mrs. Zamora, Mrs. Brittany Zamora. This is early 2018. His mother noticed that he was acting a little bit odd. He wanted to shut his door at night, and he showed more interest in girls and sex. Now, his family, and this, throughout the story, I want to stress or use this as an example of parents who did everything right in this situation. They had this app, and we'll talk about these apps later, but the one they used was called Century Parental Control. It was on his phone and his computer, and how it worked was it alerted the parents if there were certain words that appeared when he texted or messaged people, and I'm not sure if these were like pre-selected words that were already in the program, or if they pick their own words, like, well, I think you can use your imagination on this one. But the word in question was baby. So on March 21st, his mother got a notice from this app that the word baby had been repeatedly coming up on the kid's Instagram. She thought that it was probably a girl, so she checked his Instagram, found this conversation, and you know how if you're chatting on Instagram, at the top, it says the name of the person who's who you're talking to. Well, the name on this was Mrs. Zamora, who, of course, is their kid's teacher. So the parents discuss it, and they tell their kid, Adam, come here. We want to talk to you. And this quote is from an online, this is on YouTube, you can actually see this. It's a little 15-minute documentary made by the news. It's like a compilation of different news clips. But this is exactly what the mother said. Quote, and we told him, we need you to be completely honest right now. We already know the answers to everything we're going to ask. So we just need you to tell the truth. So my husband just told him, have you done anything with your teacher? Did you have sex with your teacher? And he said, yes. We asked him, how did this happen? And so he told us that when he asked her 
permission to stay after school to help with the talent show to set up and make posters. And he said that that was when it happened, that everybody was saying goodbye. And he went back to the classroom to get his backpack. And in the classroom is when it happened, end quote. And his dad went on to say, quote, the way we actually confirmed it is I told him, you are going to text this bitch. And I said, you are going to trap her. You are going to make her tell me everything through these messages, end quote. Yes, he called her this bitch, which I may refer to her as every once in a while. So this poor kid, he's probably embarrassed to death. He's standing there with his parents watching, and he texts his teacher, Mrs. Mora, and he says to her, Hey, baby, thinking about your sexy self. She responds immediately, Aw, baby, I wish you were here with me. Adam says, When can we fuck again? Brittany says, I want you to, baby, so bad. Whenever we can, you know I'm down. That was all the parents needed to see. The same day, the dad called the principal, whose name is, you are going to laugh, but his name was Tim Dickey, to report that his son was involved in a, quote, ongoing sexual relationship with Mrs. Zamora. So the principal called the Goodyear police, and they came to the house to take a report. March 22nd, the very next day, Mrs. Zamora is arrested. She was pulled over while driving to school. And if you're so inclined, you can actually watch this video online. It's from the point of view of the police body cam. And I have some pictures of her in my social media. And I want to talk about her a little bit. She is 27 in those pictures. And in my opinion, she does not look like it at all. Like, she could probably pass for like 21. And in my opinion, she uses this to her advantage. She's only five feet tall because when they're putting her into the, the police, when they arrest her, they handcuff her and they help her step up onto the, uh, it's, a, it's a high, one of those like high trucks. And she goes, I'm only five feet tall. And that's how she talks. She has this little Minnie Mouse voice. And there's not a whole lot of footage of her, but I'm going to play you the little bit that I have when she's questioned. And unfortunately, she's not like Daryl Brooks, who runs at the mouth for like two hours. She only talks for a few minutes before she lawyers up, which is a shame because I really wanted to see her behavior and analyze her reactions. But like I said, she is tiny. She has a mousy little voice. And I'm thinking that she used it to her advantage to make herself seem younger, uh, make herself seem helpless, innocent. And for somebody who is a predator, those are all great advantages if you can come off like that. So who is Mrs. Zamora? Who is this bitch? Unfortunately, there's very little biographical information available on her, but she was born in Michigan on January 5th, 1991, and I'm going to play this for you. This is a guy who talks on her behalf at her sentencing hearing. I'm pretty sure it's her stepdad, just from things he says. 
So here he is to tell us a little bit more about Brittany's background. I first met Brittany when she was 14 years old and have been a part of her and her family's life ever since. This was a very difficult and tumultuous time in her life. Facing all the challenges of becoming an adolescent wasn't enough for Brittany. She had her strength tested to its fullest capacity when her father had an affair, cheated on her mother, resulting in a subsequent divorce shortly thereafter. This had tragic consequences on Brittany as she was suddenly thrust into regression, having to try to comprehend the inconceivable act that her father had committed. Not only did she lose her faith and trust in humanity, she had lost her best friend, her advisor, and her security. She lost her self-worth and her self-esteem. She poured herself into her schoolwork and studied feverishly way into the night just to keep herself busy and her mind occupied. It was a constant effort for her to keep herself from having to face the harsh reality of the emotional scarring from the breakup and loss of her father. And to make it worse, he made little or no attempt to contact her. Brittany became withdrawn and depressed, but always tried to put on a smile uh, on her face, uh, hiding her suffering inside. I, I believe that a part of Brittany died when she lost her father. And out of denial, her spirit froze in time, and inside, she wanted to be that 13-year-old girl forever. Although a poor substitute for normalcy, it was a safe and a happy place for her. She continued to excel in school and on to college, with too many degrees and accommodations and awards to ever mention. Despite the crippling effects of an anguished heart, she met a man that she loved and married. She was a rising star in a successful teaching career that finally gave her some traction and fulfillment. Even with all that, she found time to coach girls volleyball, girls basketball, and donate to the less fortunate. If the cause of justice is to exact fairness according to the balance of moral rightness, then I believe a person's total core value should be a mitigating factor when we as flawed humans ourselves decide the fate of another human being. The person you see before you here today, Brittany, is a loving, caring, compassionate woman that has an emotional, crippled heart and mind, that has a superhuman ability to succeed, and with determination and dedication and the proper mental and emotional support through rehabilitation, she will be an amazing asset to society, and it would be an epic tragedy to just throw away this beautiful life. In all humility, I stand here in desperation, pleading for latitude and leniency to whatever extent you have in your heart. I ask that even though a frenzied media, hungry for a story, and an angry mob of people spurred on by the sensationalism, stand ready to scourge their victim, that you will take a moment to find compassion and understanding in your heart and make a decision that is fair and humane in the eyes of God. Yes, I am a Buddhist, and I truly believe in karma for our thoughts and actions with understanding and compassion. Thank you, Your Honor, for your time and patience, and God bless you always. Did you notice how he said he was a Buddhist, and then he's, he's like, God bless everybody? thought that was kind of weird, but at first, I was like um, Gerald Brooks sitting there rolling my eyes while he was talking. But then I played it again, and I was like, hmm, a couple things jumped out at me. And I thought maybe there are some answers in here as to explanations for her behavior. Did you notice at what age 
she was when her dad left. No, was 13, in case you missed it. Now, 13 was the age her victim was when she assaulted him. And I'm not saying this is significant, but I remember reading that in child molesters or, you know, child sex offenders, they tend to target kids who are the age that they themselves were when they were assaulted as children. I'm not saying Brittany was abused as a kid. I have no idea, no way of knowing that. All I'm saying is that it's an interesting coincidence. So her mom, Darlene, spoke in court also. And we learned from her that Brittany has a brother and sister. Her dad was her idol, and he abandoned her for his pregnant mistress when Brittany was 13. So I'll save this for psychology, but if this is true, and there's no reason to think that it's not, she very well may have abandonment issues. So just uh, maybe jot that down or keep that in the back of your mind. Then, supposedly, her mom was diagnosed with MS, which, as I know, because I have a mild form of it, can be anywhere from mild to very serious and debilitating. And it seems like, from what she said, her mom has a pretty bad case of it and that Brittany had to take care of her. She said that Brittany was the prom queen, and if I was her judge, I think I'd add more prison time on just for that. She married her best friend, Daniel Zamora, and I saw little snippets of their wedding on that video I told you about on YouTube that the news channel made. He actually proposed to her. This is this is actually cool. While they were skydiving, you see them in the air, and I don't know if he yelled it across to her or he had a sign or something that said, will you marry me? And then they land and he, on the ground, and he gives her this ring, and it's this big-ass ring. You can see the pictures on my social media. And she said that Brittany held a Bible study group in jail, and she also wanted everybody to know that Brittany was not the monster that the public and the media were making her out to be. Brittany graduated from Arizona State University with a 4.0, which is pretty commendable. She has a degree in elementary education, and at the time she was arrested, she was going for her master's degree in education. Her first job was at Littleton Elementary School in, I don't know if it's Avondale or Avondale, Arizona. She was actually awarded Teacher of the Year in 2016. Somebody else who worked at this school while she was there was the assistant principal, Tim Dickey. Yes, that's the aforementioned Tim Dickey. So those two were friends, and he got a job as the principal at Las Brisas Academy. They're, they had an opening for sixth grade teacher, and he's like, Brittany, you're a good teacher. Why don't you apply? So she did, and we know the rest of the story. The year, the school year, that this all happened was actually her first year there. She was a popular teacher. The kids loved her. She coached volleyball and, I think, softball or, or something else. So how did this, I don't know if you want to use the word affair, this uh, inappropriate relationship, how did this all start? 
the class used this app called Classcraft, and it's basically a high-tech teaching tool. It's something that you install on the kids and teachers' phones, and it, like, networks. On its website, it says it's, quote, a positive approach to behavior that inspires educators and motivates learners, end quote. So it encourages and rewards positive behavior, like operant conditioning. It's actually a role-playing game. The kids make avatars and their own characters, and they make their own teams, and they get feedback from their peers and the teacher. The teacher can give or remove points according to their behavior. You know, if they're good that day, the teacher can give them points. If they're bad, they can take away points. And this sounds like a really awesome thing if it's used properly. So according to Adam, which of course is victim A, he said this started sometime before Christmas. He said one day Mrs. Amora was not in school for whatever reason. She was either sick or on a vacation or whatever. So she got on this app, this classroom thing, and said that she wasn't going to be at school that day and asked the students to text her because she'd be bored. So a couple things here. This right off the bat is bizarre, and this should be a red flag because, first of all, I'm assuming most of you work or you have worked. Well, I worked. I've had a lot of jobs. And days that I'm off and I'm sick or whatever, I'm not going to call up work and say, hey, I'm bored. You know, would you talk to me? I see them every day. I don't want to talk to them, especially if they're children. It's so, going through this case, so many times you're just going to shake your head and you're going to be like, what the fuck? Just what the actual fuck? And this is probably the first instance. Believe me, it gets much worse. And I can't help but think if when she did this, was she being innocent? And well, like I said, I, I think it's just a shady thing to do. It's it's inappropriate and it's weird. But was she hoping that Adam or maybe some other kid would respond? Remember, she's, she teaches sixth grade. He's 13. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's older than your average sixth grader. So here is a clip from him talking to the police. I'll let him tell you what happened next. Uh, before we all left, she held up. She said, hey, guys, I'm going to be at school. So if you get bored, text me because I'll be really bored. And I said, I'm more. And then she texts you back, hi. And then, I, and then we just like started texting. The texting goes on that day and beyond. And the boy says it turned into flirting. I don't remember how it got like really intense. But we would like flirt and like say, like, she would like be like, oh, gee, I love you. And I would tell her I love her too. And then she would like talking about how she wanted to do stuff with me. And I would tell her that, that I wanted to do that too. According to police, there were at least four encounters between Zamora and her student that were, quote, sexual in nature. The first time we kissed, like, I was saying bye to her and I gave her a hug and she like, started kissing me, so I kissed her back. The boy says Zamora would call him in the middle of the night and twice snuck out and met her in her car for sex acts. Yeah, we were, like, texting and then, and then like, I, I we were, really like, texting and then I told her that I was at my grandparents' house and she said, let me come over and I said, I said, LOL. And then I would like, like, laughing and I put heart emojis. And she's like, no, I'm serious. And I was like, okay. But before that, we called before. 
I went to her car, though. And she said, okay, I'm, I'm here. And then I just walked outside. Another sexual encounter happened on campus in her classroom after a school talent show. We were doing a talent show thing. And I was saying bye. We were, not, we were about to walk. And, like, shit, I was, like, saying bye. And then I grabbed my backpack. And, like, my friend was, like, messing with her computer. And then she was, like, kissing me and everything. And, like, she was, like, you want to go in? And I was, like, what? And then she was, like, you want to go in? And I was, like, I was, like, sure. And then, like, the same thing. I didn't take my pants off or anything. But she was wearing a dress. So she just pulled her underwear to the side. And then I was in there, like, a minute. And then I was, like, bad. And I was, like, all right, I gotta go. Screenshots of their chat show they were explicit. In one of them, Zamora talks about wanting to quit her job and have sex with a boy all day. The interaction between the 27-year-old teacher and 13-year-old boy is so intense, students started to notice and reported it to the school principal in February of 2018. Okay, so there's a few things to talk about from all that information that we just got. Apparently, according to Adam, they started texting in this class chat thing. And I don't know if you've ever been in a group chat. God, it's been years since I was, like the 90s, in the chat room and you could see the people talking to each other. And apparently at some point, Brittany told this kid to text her privately or message or I don't know if you could go to a private chat on this classroom thing. But it made me wonder if the other kids could see this, that at any point, Adam and Mrs. Zamora kind of went off by themselves to chat privately. So like many relationships, and I use that word lightly, this one started out with what seemed like friendly chatting. And at some point, the talk turned sexual. I'm assuming it was Brittany who escalated it. And at some point, it then turned physical. Now, there's another victim. He's known as Victim B, but we'll call him Ben, as in B for Ben. He was Adam's best friend, and at the time this happened, he was 11. He was asked by Brittany to act as a lookout while she and Adam screwed around in the classroom, and he was very disgusted by this whole thing. It's better if you hear it right from him. This is a clip of him being interviewed by a police interviewer. I've edited this heavily. I've cut a lot of like pauses and ums and unnecessary phrases out. But I have to warn you, it's very graphic and disturbing. Because remember, this is coming from an 11-year-old child. And the reason I want you to hear from him is it's one thing if I sit here and tell you, oh, this and this and this happened, but hearing these things out of a child's mouth makes it really hit home as to what was actually going on here. And I think it drives home the point more. So here is Ben talking to the police interviewer. I was one of the witnesses or one of the people that saw Ms. Zamora and my friend touch each other um one night i wasn't there though told me that um because he was at his grandparents house and he snuck out like at 12 or 11 and he went in the car and Ms. Moore was in there and they had sex and he said dude i have really something important to tell you 
and he said that uh, when I was at my grandparents this weekend, um, I was texting Ms. Moore because like they first started on Classcraft and they first started by like flirting and like talking and then they like went to Instagram and like they started talking and stuff, talking and then they are like really close to each other, really close. And Ms. Moore always want me like to cover to see like if anyone's looking. And then, so it's me there, and Ms. Moore is behind this side, and then like, sticks his finger up on Ms. Moore's vagina. And at the grandparents' house, he just told me, he told me that they, we had sex, uh, and I was like, okay. So tell me everything about the messages. What did they say? Um, they were just flirting, but... So what do you mean they were flirting? Like, they're texting dirty stuff. Like on Instagram, they text dirty stuff. And then every day, Ms. Moore and messages, so like no one would, like, so no one will catch them texting, because on the messages, I think he showed me one when he spent the night at my house. He said, when they're talking, saying, they're talking and saying that we should, um, we should teach the class, um, what, how to do sex. So then you said that when you were in the class, you, you had to cover? Yeah, um, one of the talent show, judges for the talent show and other, other people were judging. And then after when everyone left, told me to leave because you're supposed to bring your bags to the talent show and leave your bags here at the classroom like on purpose and when everyone left we went to the classroom and because I was supposed to go and I was like oh we should go now and she said no wait a minute they said and then you started making out in the classroom in the corner and I was by the desk area so if anyone would open the door I'd say oh it's someone here and like they're in the corner so they told me like just to like, cover the door, and then the next day, I I didn't want to cover, so I just went out the classroom and covered because I didn't want to see them doing stuff. And then he was put putting his putting his dick into Ms. Moore's um vagina vagina. So Ms. Moore was right here, and then was right here, and then. Like, he put his leg, like, Mr. Moore's leg, so he wide it out, just bouncing up, up and down. She wasn't naked, I think she was wearing, like, a dress, so she just put the dress up, dress up, and he pulled his, not, his shorts, not all the way, but he put them, like, halfway, so I didn't see nothing, but I know they're doing it. Tell me everything you could hear. Here? Well, Ms. Moore said, like, didn't moan because she wanted to be respectful. Was Ms. Morris um, saying anything? No, they were just doing it. It was very uncomfortable. So that's why the second day they were doing stuff, I just left the room. They said to keep it a secret, don't tell no one. I watch cover and everything.
And Misa not to tell her parents and no one. Mizumura, like, found out that I knew, like, a lot about them. And then Mizumura said, what about if we get caught? Like, I can go to jail. And, like, like what about if or, like, tells anyone? We'll get in deep trouble. This was on a chair because I, I was out the door, so I wasn't in the room. Just looking out to see if anyone was near. Chair. And Ms. Moore was on the ground on her knees, and Ms. Moore was sucking his dick. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but another day, I think it was before the talent show, like a couple days ago, Ms. Moore was all sitting at the desk, and it was like free time. And then Ms. Moore asked me if my thing uncircumcised or circumcised. And I didn't know what that means. So Ms. Moore went on her phone and looked up on circumcised and circumcised things. And she showed me uncircumcised and circumcised. Like, is uncircumcised with one with the head? Tell me what you can see. Well, I saw a, like, picture she showed me on her phone, like, a a uh, penis, if it has a head or not have a head. So, where was everybody? She, everyone was in the classroom. We were just and Ms. Moore at the desk. She's asked me, cause, and then Ms. Moore said, most of my family has uncircumcised things. And then she showed me a picture, and I was like, oh, that's what I have. And then after that, was, the conversation was done, because... We had to go to recess. Oh, yeah. So, when we were watching CNN 10, everyone watches CNN 10. And then she has a desk. And then this is a screen. Everyone looks that way. And Nora said, like, like, to come over here so we can have cover. So Nora can see. And the chair. Then, um, arms behind the chair. And then, he just puts his finger up. Did you see that with your own eyes? Well, they said to not look back. Not look back. But I know he, I know what he's doing because he, like, showed me, like, this is the finger I used. I was like, ugh. But then he put hand sanitizer. So I know that he did it. Okay. So that happened one time or more than one time? More than one time. Did that happen one time or more than one time? Where they touch butts. Mm-hmm. Um, happens more. Yeah, it happened more, more than one time. Um, so when we got in the classroom, I went to go get my lunch, my Ritz, and then all I see to my right, they're just touching butts, talking. I don't know what they're talking about because I wasn't in the conversation. Touching butts, and then. Tell me what you think about her now. She's not a good. Teacher, not a good role model to other kids. Um, she's just very, it's like weird how a 27 year old can like love a 13 year old and do stuff. It's just crazy. She's not a good person. How does all of this make you feel? Makes me sad and mad. Mad because she's like, 
a bad like influence. She's a bad person. She deserves to be in jail. Um, makes me sad because she was my sixth grade teacher. Yeah, that was a lot. That poor kid. You can tell how uncomfortable he was. And that had to have been awful for him. I hope he got to go out for ice cream or McDonald's or something after that. And I hope you can understand everything. But what he said was the first time Brittany and victim A had sex was one night he was at his grandparents. Adam was. And they started texting. He's like, I'm at my grandparents. And she said, well, give me their address and, you know, I'll come over. And he, I guess, didn't believe her. He's like, yeah, right. So she went over there and she parked down the street. He snuck out and walked down the street where she was waiting in her red Mazda. And they actually had intercourse. But they stopped when her husband called and said he was coming home from a fishing trip. This happened twice where he was at his grandparents. And she came and he met her in the car. She also sent him pictures of her, one of her in lingerie and another of her naked. And he sent her a nude picture also. I kind of suspect that they use Snapchat for this because that's the one, and I, I don't really use it, that everybody uses to send dirty pictures because I think there's a way you can have the pictures disappear after so long. I read that Ben, that's who we just heard from, also got nude pictures from her, but I didn't hear him say that in this statement, so I don't know about that. And did you hear him say at one point in there, I know he said a lot of things, but something about they stopped because it was time for recess, and it really brings it home that we are talking about children who have recess, who go out and play, I guess, like swings and slides and play with a ball and stuff because they are children. And even though he's only 11, even he said, I think it's weird how a 27-year-old can love a 13-year-old. Yes, it is weird. It's beyond weird. So what happened is this bitch was bold. They would play grab ass in the classroom, and she would put a video on and probably turn the lights off. And her and Adam would sit in the back of the classroom and touch each other. And that was what he was referring to in there when he said about, you know, this is the finger I, well, you know the rest. That was in the middle of class while everybody is watching a video. Can you imagine, just go back to when you were in sixth grade, okay, and you're sitting there watching a video or Back in my day, it was the old, like, film reels. But the class is dark, and you, you're you looking around, and you think you see um, that going on. I would seriously think that it was because the, uh, like, the TV or the movie, whatever, is flickering, that it was a trick of the light, that my eyes were playing tricks on me. I wouldn't even really believe that that was really going on. So these are sixth graders. They're not kindergartners. And they're going to catch on at some point that something is going on. And they did. So around February, rumors start going around the whole school that Adam was 
Mrs. Amore's favorite, that she favored him, that they were dating, even that he got her pregnant. Now, supposedly there were three of these kids who actually went to the principal, Mr. Dickey, and said to him, hey, um, you know, this is going on. We know this is happening and we are uncomfortable about it. Well, what Mr. Dickey did was he talked to Mrs. Mora and she was crying and hysterical and of course she denied it and she said, the most important things in the world to me are my job and my husband. I would never do anything like that. So what he does is he has talk with the kids. I don't know if it was just those three or if it was the whole class. And the talk was about the danger of spreading rumors. Yes, this is how he handled the situation. He made it seem like they were either imagining shit or purposefully stirring up trouble. I don't know if he believed Brittany because, remember, she was his friend. He'd known her for a while. And these claims were kind of outrageous. Did he just think that the other kids are making it up or they're exaggerating something? Or was he just in denial? I don't know. But whatever the reason, he did not handle the situation properly. Now, let's go back to the beginning of, not the beginning of the story, but the beginning of the episode where I told you about how Adam's parents found the chat on his phone and they made him text Brittany and Trapper. So I told you they called the principal, the principal called the police. So then Brittany calls them. She talks to the dad and she's trying to do damage control. She knows she's in trouble and she's trying to talk her way out of it. So let's hear how that phone conversation went. What type perverted person are you? I want to know right now. A father demanding a response from his son's sixth grade teacher. You're a child molester. Do you understand me? Um, no. why do you say that? Oh, see, I'm a lot smarter than you. Can we meet, you know, to talk about this? Is there something we can settle out, you know, outside? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what we can do so I can give you a chance to do it to some other kid. Yeah, that's exactly, no. that's exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly, no. And make sure you tell your husband what's going on. He is right here. Can he talk to you? Oh, yeah, put Your wife decided to be a monster and prey on a child. She scarred my son mentally. For, do you understand what a 13 year old boy did? Have sex with a teacher? Do you get that at all? Do me a favor. Do not call this number back again. The next time you'll hear from me will be in court. In case you're wondering where that came from, the dad actually did record the conversation on his phone. Now, it later came out that while Brittany was talking to the parents, her husband was texting her and coaching her on what to say. He was telling her to cry and apologize frequently and seem helpless and, quote, don't admit to any relationship because we both know there isn't one and nothing happened. Just stupid fantasy text that went too far, end quote. So I 
would really like to know, did he really think that? I'm sure that that's probably what she told him, but I'm sure that he later learned all of the details, and I feel so bad for this dude. Can you imagine you're 27 years old, and you find out that your wife is having sex with one of her 13-year-old students? I just cannot even imagine what he went through. He's another victim here. And as we're going to see in a lot of crimes, I like to call it the ripple effect. There's so many people that are victimized. Brittany actually filed for divorce in May of 2020 from prison. Spoiler alert, she goes to prison. And she said the re their relationship was, quote, broken beyond repair. Um, you think? So I told you that Brittany was arrested on her way to work in March of 2018. When they get to the police station, the cop sits her down to talk. I have that on audio here, but unfortunately, it's not very good quality. And unfortunately, also, it's not very long because she asks for a lawyer a few minutes in, and, and we don't get to observe her behavior and such. Plus, she has that little mousy voice, and it is a little bit hard to hear, but what there is here is interesting, so here it is. All right, um, again, I'm just acting with Kira with Goodyear, okay? And um, did they tell you why you're here? They didn't tell you why you're under arrest? No. Okay. Um, it's involving um, that relationship with, I told you a little bit ago that I would, um, just going to come and talk to you and give you the opportunity to, to tell me what's going on. Okay. Um, obviously, you both know why you're here. I'm going to read your rights because you are under arrest, and then I'm um, going to just get some background information from you. Okay. Um, how long have you, or where do you work right now, Brittany? Last week And how long have you been there? Since um, July. What's your first year? Well, that's school. At that school. And where were you before that? Dalesman Elementary School. And what is your, what's your position right now? Sixth grade teacher. Sixth grade teacher, okay. And, and what did you do there? Uh, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, fourth and fifth. Okay. All right. And are you from Arizona, or did you? I moved around ten. Okay. Where was that from? Michigan. Well, if you're from Michigan, then what football team were you cheering for? The Cowboys. That's all I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> the Packers. You didn't cheer for the Packers. No. Then? My husband and his family are diehard Cowboys fans, so. Mm -hmm. See, when I grew up, Cowboys were um, kind of, um, or Cowboy fans were kind of thugs. Uh -huh. Everyone wore oh, the yeah. starter jacket just to be, you know, cool. Right. People got their starter jackets stolen. Yeah. They were robbed for it, so I grew up hating the Cowboys. Oh, yeah. So I have a reason to not like them, but now I, now I kind of like them, so. Okay, so um, I got a little bit of background from you, and um, like I said, we well, you know now for sure why you're here, yes. and, um... Can I ask a question? You can. Um, so is this, is it this arrest from the school, or was this from something separate? Um, so I had, like, I had my school call me yesterday and tell me that I was on probation, mm -hmm. but I had his father contact me today, so I was just trying to figure out which one it was from. 
it's 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 more from things. Okay. Like you know, the school doesn't really call me and. Okay. Um, so the school is not pressing charges or okay. something like that. It's it's just it's dealing with, yeah. So okay. dealing with that issue. Okay. So, and you know, um, there really is. I guess I wanted to give you the opportunity because there really is um, very little doubt on what happened. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted you to be able to maybe explain why it happened, kind of thing. Um, because I'm not going to judge you. Okay, and you said this is the first time you've been in trouble. Yeah. And you're 27, so you've made it a long ways. Um, so I'm not going to judge you, and people make do make mistakes. So um, there's mistakes that are made in life, and, and, and they happen, and it's basically how people move on from those is, is kind of who they are as a person. So um, I'm not going to deny that, you know, that it's something in... I'm sure you're not either. That's something that shouldn't have happened. Right. Um, but I'm not going to call you a monster or anything like that and say you did something so, you know, crazy that you're a horrible person. So, I, you know, I wanted you to explain, you know, how, how this came to happen. So, can I have an attorney? You can. Is that what you want? Okay. All right. I just don't know if I go That's fine. Um... Um, will I be going home today? No. So will I be in jail? Um, do these types of things have to be made public? They don't have to be made public, but um, you've kind of been in the school industry long enough to know that uh, when something happens at a school, you know, letters end up having to go out and people ask questions. I don't know. It varies. I can't. I can't give you. I know. I can't give you a black and white answer to that. Um, you know, they take a lot of things into consideration. You know, you don't have a criminal history. At least you talk. You're telling me that, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I haven't checked yet. I know you did anything. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, I do know. Um, I'm not going to ask you any more questions because you said you wanted an attorney. So, um, did you have any more questions for me? What are the next steps? Um, the next step is basically you, you do go to jail okay. tonight. Um, I submit some paperwork. I'm little. They're going to tear me apart. Well, I mean, if you have problems with somebody, you can voice that to somebody. Okay. Okay, you know how I like to comment on interrogation style. This cop was really good. She was nervous. Um, she was crying. I don't know if you could hear her sniffling. First rule of interrogation, and this is just from my own experience. This isn't written down anywhere. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Is make sure the person's comfortable. Do you want something to drink? Are you warm enough, cool enough, whatever? Take care of their needs because if they're uncomfortable, they're not going to want to talk. Second step is build a rapport. Notice how she said she was from Michigan and then he asked her what her football team was and then you heard her laugh and she kind of relaxed and they started talking about football. That was when he broke the ice 
And that was very smart on his part because now he's made her a little bit more comfortable with him. And unfortunately, she didn't discuss any of the um, allegations or charges. But I like the way he handled that. It kills me when she goes, I'm little. Well, she should have thought of that before she did what she did. She was then arrested and booked into the 4th Avenue jail on one count of obscene material transmitted to a minor. At her initial appearance, she was given a $250,000 bond, which nobody could pay. And she said, quote, she would love to go home, would love to go home to my husband, end quote. And while this was happening, the police searched her house. They took some lingerie, her iPad, and flash drives. She would eventually plead guilty in a plea deal to sexual conduct with a minor, attempted molestation of a minor, and public sexual indecency. And in return, the state dropped 15 other felony counts. She was sentenced to 20 years with credit for 478 days. At her sentencing hearing on July 12, 2019, her stepdad spoke. We already heard him. Her mom told you what she said. Adam's dad and an attorney for Adam's parents, he said that the crimes, quote, affect their family dynamic. It's affected his behavior and his schooling. It's disrupted his living situation. They had to uproot his family and move, end quote. Then victim B, Ben's mother, spoke. And I will play this for you. She is pretty loud, so you won't have any problem hearing her. I'm here today in faith for my family and my son. At the time of this crime, I'm only 11 years old. I'm a sturdy student who loves school. He was a kid that I took the room to talk to. You can't help but want to be his friend. During the time of sixth grade, in Mr. Moore's class, I started to notice a change in him. He wasn't that happy kid anymore. He became quiet and distant. When I found out the disgusting things that my son witnessed at school, a place that every parent tries to drop their child off every day is when I realized why he changed. He witnessed sexual acts between Mr. Moore and the other victims that no child should ever have to encounter. At times, he was told to be a lookout. He felt so uncomfortable that he removed himself a second time. Instead of teaching subjects like math and English, she showed him pictures and asked him about his private parts. She tried to groom my child into believing that this behavior was okay. We tell our children to listen to their teachers, and Ms. Samora used her position as a teacher to keep my son quiet by telling him that she would throw, be thrown in jail if her secret got out. She knew this was wrong. She's a true definition of a child predator. Ms. Samora starts a friendship with these boys and gains their trust, and then lures them in for her own sick sexual desires. Everything she did was strategically planned for only one outcome, sex with a child. This has affected our family and my son deeply, and we're trying to make sure that he can still enjoy a normal childhood. As adults, you grow to become the person you are because of childhood experiences and memories. I pray every day that this does not have a lifelong effect on my son. An example needs to be made of Brittany Zamora. 
She is a woman of position and power and use it to molest a child. She's a pedophile and is no different than if a man were sitting in her place right now. If she had not got caught, how many more children would have been hurt by her? The less time she spends in prison, the more opportunity she has to prepare for another victim. Brittany Zamora, you hurt my family. You created a horrible time frame in my son's childhood. I will never forget nor can change. Because this crime is going to be a lifelong battle for our boys, you deserve the maximum sentencing. Let this sink into your head, Brittany. Your mind is foul, your heart is ugly, and you disgust me. You should be embarrassed and ashamed of yourself. You deserve to leave prison at an age where you cannot bear children of your own. You deserve to spend the next 27 Christmases alone, the next 27 birthdays alone in your cell with no family and no friends to comfort you. Benny, the more your secret is out, the world knows you are a child molester. And while you sit in your cell and think that maybe things will get better, they won't. You are forever labeled a child molester, and everyone hates a child molester. Then Brittany spoke, and it's kind of hard to hear because she's crying, and she has that little Minnie Mouse voice. So listen close. Good morning, Nancy. I'm going to start off by apologizing to the victim and his family. I'm sorry for any undue stress or pain that I may have caused. I'm ashamed of my actions and am completely remorseful and truly regret what took place. I'm known to be a responsible, caring, happy, and thoughtful person. My actions were completely out of character for me. As an adult and teacher, I am meant to set an example and I did not follow according to that expectation. Prior to this incident, I have been an amazing teacher and citizen. I started programs while teaching to help stop bullying, teach girls about nutrition, fitness, create fundraisers to help with autism, and help families in need. Fill 25 plus desks with school supplies each year, and even one teacher of the year in 2016. As far as a citizen goes, I've lived my life respecting and trying to obey every law. I am not a threat to society by any means. On the contrary, I have tried to help our society as much as I can. This includes helping out the homeless, volunteering for the city, and giving time to assist with church programs. Over the past 16 months, I have grown up in my faith, and that has helped me not only get through each day, but has led me to reflect on how sincerely I took life for granted. A life that I've been working so hard to set up for a successful and bountiful future. I would do anything to re-enter society sooner for a second chance. This sentencing is not only taking decades of my own life and experiences away, but those of my loved ones as well. My family knows who I am and my heart, so it is just as hard on them. Therefore, I would also like to apologize to them. As stated earlier, I never want to hurt anyone, and it tears me apart to know that I have, and I'm deeply sorry. Going forward, I would like to attend counseling and all other required courses. I obtain a new degree in seeking employment. I've already relinquished my teaching certification. My hope is to rejoin society a better and more grateful person. I have an incredible support system and know they will all be there for me every step of the way. Your Honor, I know the state did not take my mitigation assessments into consideration, but I hope you can. I am a good and genuine person who made a mistake and regrets it deeply. I ask that you please have leniency in regards to my sentencing, that you see me as a person with a hopeful future and not just another number of case. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. I don't know. What do you think? She says all the right things. 
She sounds remorseful. I don't know. We know she's smart. Does she realize the damage she's done to Adam and the other kids? I don't think there's any way for us to know. Now, I know this is getting too long, but I want to play one more audio clip. Right after the sentencing hearing, Brittany's attorney, attorney, I think this is Guerrera, held a little press conference. Well, she read a statement, and then she said no questions and left, so I guess it's not really a press conference. But I think it's important to hear. Listen carefully at the very end to what the reporter says. Brittany has been wrongfully portrayed by the state of Arizona and the press as being a predator and has even been called a monster. I have represented Brittany Zamora for almost 16 months, and I can tell you that she is not a monster. Brittany is not a predator, and this was not between a young child and Brittany. This was a teenager. Brittany underwent a psychosexual evaluation, and she she passed with flying colors. She is not a danger to society. There were issues in this case. For example, Principal Dickey refused Brittany's request to move the teenager out of the classroom. Brittany Zamora implored Principal Dickey to move him because the teenager had boundary issues and was obsessed with Brittany. I am not making that up. I learned that from Principal Dickey. All things that were outside of the evidence that probably you all received, the teenage family's attorneys filed the civil suit within hours of the issue coming to light to the police department. The teenager had two cell phones. He had multiple social media accounts. His family had Principal Dickey's cell phone number and would call him at any time they wanted to speak with Principal Dickey about his many, many behavioral issues. I see some of your faces frowning, but I learned this from Principal Dickey. The teenage boy was very aggressive. He even was very persistent in asking Brittany about her birthmarks, molars, or anything else that could be an identifiable piece of information. Now I'm gonna read you the statement from Brittany. Good afternoon, my name is Brittany Zamora. Thank you in advance for hearing this statement. After going through the court process for the last 16 months, I can truly say that I have been unfairly treated by the state of Arizona. It is shocking to me how others are so quick to judge based off hearing accusations from only one side of the story. It was made clear to me that the state had already made their decision well before I was given a chance to prove my innocence in any way, shape, or form. Even after obtaining extensive mitigation, completing risk assessment, psychological tests and evaluations, and polygraph tests, all of which proved the highest degree of character the state decided to turn a blind eye to all. I feel like I was used as a publicity act to gain attention 
that was often driven by money and motivation from several parties. I am here to tell you that I'm not a monster. The media has projected me to be. I am kind, generous, responsible, and a caring person. I have always proven to be a person of great character, working selflessly to help people in countless ways, from setting up programs to stop bullying, to creating fundraisers for people and families in need. I have an amazing support system that I'm very thankful for, and I pray one day I can help others to avoid going through the same unfair process. I also hope that our society can learn not to judge each other based off the way that information is biased, biasedly portrayed, because I know firsthand how it feels to be viewed as someone that you're not. Thank you. That is Brittany's statement. I can tell you that I, as a criminal defense attorney, advocate for people who are charged with a crime, people who are wrongfully charged with crimes and wrongfully prosecuted. In this case, Brittany was not given a second chance. In spite of everything, she was not given not even a single day outside of the plea range that was initially offered. However, I'm happy to report that today we were very successful. She was sentenced to the minimum allowed by the plea agreement. And to that, to us, is a win. Thank you for your time. And we will not be answering any questions today. Are you guys really blaming a 13-year-old boy in this case? That's not what I said. That's exactly what the statement sounded like. Are you honestly saying that Brittany was the victim? You're just going to read that and walk away? Okay, what that was, that did two things. It undermined everything Brittany said in her apology, and it blamed the victim. Even the reporter is like, so you're blaming a 13-year-old? And she goes, that's not what I said. Um, yes, bitch, it is. She totally threw this kid under the bus. She claimed he was obsessed with Brittany, and he had, quote, boundary issues and hinted that he had behavior problems. What this is, this is like you hear about in the old days when a woman was raped in, in, in court for her offender's trial, and the defense attorney would ask stuff like, what was she wearing? You know, like, put it on the victim. The victim must have been doing something. And this is a child, for fuck's sake. I don't care if he did like it, if he enjoyed it at the time. It doesn't matter. The age of consent in Arizona is 17. He was 13. Brittany was not only an adult who should have known better, but she was in a position of authority and trust over him, his teacher, and she totally took advantage of that. Did you notice how the attorney never referred to him as the victim or the child, but she always said on purpose, the teenager, like trying to make him seem older or somehow that it was like consensual. I mean, I know 
she has a job to do as Brittany's attorney, but that was just shitty. You may have heard her make a remark about financial gains or somebody having a financial motive. Adam's parents filed a lawsuit against Daniel. I don't understand the uh, concept behind that. Daniel, remember, was Brittany's husband. That was settled privately. They also filed one against Liberty Elementary School District, which is still ongoing. And that is because of how I told you before, the kids went to Principal Dickey. By the way, according to their webpage, there's now a different principal there. I don't know what happened to Mr. Dickey, but the kids went to him like a whole month before Brittany was arrested, and he didn't really do anything about it. He kind of dismissed it. Brittany is currently in the Santa Cruz Unit 1. Sounds like a um, like a vacation resort or something of the Arizona State Prison Complex in Goodyear, where she shares quarters with Jody Arias. Her sentence expires on March 16, 2038. Since she's been there, she's worked in the kitchen and is now able to tutor other inmates, which I think is a good use of her time. I'm sure there are lots of inmates who can't read or write or speak English, and there's a theory behind corrections, and it's pretty much a bored inmate can be a dangerous inmate. You always want to keep them busy, whether it's prison or jail, because if they're bored and they don't have anything to do, that's when they start fighting or making hooch or riding or other things that you don't want. She said she plans to get another degree and start a whole new career when she comes out. And I really hope that she comes out of there reformed, never does anything like that again, and ready to, I guess, re-enter society and make something of herself. It is kind of a waste because she's obviously very smart, and she obviously was a good teacher at one time. She won teacher of the year, and to throw it all away over a, a fling with a one of your students, it, it's very hard to understand. And I keep thinking, what was her end game? Like, How did she want this to end? Did she want this to go on forever? I, I can't understand it. Was it about sex or power or something else? And then you have to wonder, did she become a teacher in order to have access to kids. Hopefully, in the last part of this, we might try to answer those questions anyway. In 2022, which was last year, the Arizona State Board of Education required all Arizona schools to adopt new rules for electronic communication with students. The teachers are encouraged to use school-approved technology and only drawing school hours. Notice that that says they are encouraged. It doesn't say mandated. So that's kind of odd. And that this here is pretty disturbing. I read this in a newspaper from the area, from Arizona. This story was big news. After it hit social media, everybody, of course, is making comments and a lot of the comments were of 
this sort. I'm going to read you some of them. These were comments that appeared on social media, like mostly YouTube, I'm thinking. And they are, quote, truly history's greatest monster. So bad. Much horror. Lock her up in my garage and throw away the key, end quote. And I need to go back to school. And this boy is a legend. And LMAO, what do you expect from the little guy? Props to him. That's all I got to say, end quote. So they're kind of cheering this on, like, oh, how cool this is that this 13-year-old child was sexually abused by his adult teacher. No, it is not cool. He is not a legend. He's a victim. And I think people were thinking this because he was a male and Brittany was a female. If it had been a 13-year-old girl and a 27-year-old man, I think people would have thought differently of it. So let's talk about statistics. How often does something like this happen? In 2019, the Arizona Republic, which is a newspaper and a local radio station, studied 180 allegations of teacher sexual misconduct over the past four years. They found that some of these were where the teacher sent sexually explicit texts to the students, like Mrs. Zamora did. Others were when the teacher was caught viewing porn on district-issued computers. And that's, well, I mean, it's, I guess, obviously improper, but it's nowhere near the area of victimizing somebody. So what would you guess is the percentage of teachers who are female who are alleged to have been sexually inappropriate with their students? Just take a guess. Well, it's over 30%. Is that higher than you would have thought? Now, take note that that's just the reported cases. The number of actual incidences is probably much higher. While we're on the subject of inappropriate teacher behavior, these are some behaviors or things that teachers may do that are inappropriate. And if you are a parent, listen carefully or write this down, okay? Things teachers do that they shouldn't be doing if they do this. Meeting with students in the classroom with the door shut, kind of shady is all. Texting or emailing students about personal stuff. Giving them gifts, that one's kind of common sense. A lot of these are just common sense. Like touching them, duh. Do you really have to be told that? Assigning a kid a special role, like teacher's helper. That may sound innocent, but actually it's probably not a good idea because it can be seen as favoring the kid. And this is something that Brittany actually did, offering to tutor the kid at home. So here are some tips on how to monitor for inappropriate teacher behavior. Monitor their tech like Adam's parents did. Communicate with your kid. That's something that you should just do. Like You shouldn't have to be told that. Teach kids good versus bad touch. That's, again, something that every parent should do. Communicate with your kid's school. Like, just make sure that you stay in touch with them or you're available 
for them to call you if there's a problem with your kid or something going on. And I unfortunately never had this problem because when I was in high school, my mother worked at the fucking school. She was a secretary. So she would always talk to all my teachers about how was my kid doing in school. And wasn't usually good. And she would come home and say, I talked to Mr. So-and-so, and he said, you're not doing too good in physics or whatever. I'm like, oh. But yeah, make sure that you know your kids' teachers and people that they interact with in school. Know basically like what they're up to there. Learn the school's policy of fraternizing with students, like what is appropriate, what is not. This is another one that shouldn't have to be said. Is your kid acting different? Are they having nightmares, mood swings, etc.? And this is something that tipped off the parents of both Adam and Ben, if you will recall. They both noticed that their kids were acting kind of weird. So if you still have your pen and you're still writing stuff down, you might want to write these down. These are different apps that you can install on your um, phone or computer and your kids' phones and computer. And it, these are supposedly the top 10. They can monitor their social media use, their location, and their search history. And there are Aura, A-U-R-A. I guess this is Custodio, Custodio, Q-U-S-T-U-D-I-O. Bark, yeah, as in like what dogs say. Canopy, Norton, Net Nanny, Family Time, Boomerang, and Kids Locks, K I D S L O X. So it's time for what's possibly the big question What makes females become sex offenders? Personally, or in my experience, I've only ever met one, and she was different from the male sex offenders that I had either interviewed or supervised. And I'll talk about it briefly. I did interview a few pedophiles. People, there was one guy who molested his own daughter. I think actually there were two of them. There were a couple others who targeted strangers. The female that I interviewed molested her son. He was little. I don't remember, like a toddler. I don't remember exactly how old. But this was, I would say, early 2000s. And I was so baffled by what makes a female do this that I remember Googling it, like female sex offenders, to try to read something about are there any studies? Do they know why they do this? Something. And there was nothing. And from what I understand, there still are not that many female sex offenders. There's not a whole lot of research on them. But anyway, this woman, I could tell she had a lot of psychological issues or something wrong with her. And I just got the feeling that they say men who rape and sexually abuse that it it's about power they're seeking dominance and control and it's not really about sex with women i think it's different i think that they're after something different 
not so much power and control, but maybe they're looking for, in a very warped way, attention or affection, or they feel rejected or something, and they're using a very unhealthy coping mechanism. And I think maybe, and you know I'm just speculating, I'm just throwing stuff out, I think possibly something like this was happening with our friend Brittany here. Now, I found this on Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt, but it does ring true with what I know. And the person who wrote it was an adult probation officer. And he said that all of the female sex offenders he had encountered were emotionally immature, very manipulative, and they tend to justify their behavior by claiming that they were in love with the victim. The victim loved them. The kid came on to them and or it was consensual. And with Brittany, it was all of these. He also made the observation that most of these cases were crimes of opportunity with women as opposed to males who like actively seek out you know, the stereotypical dirty old man who sits in the park and watches the little kids or something like that. So how prevalent are female sex offenders? In 2015, just one year in the United Kingdom, there were over 100 women convicted of sex offenses. And this rate was three times higher than it had been in the past 10 years. So why is that? It's probably a combination I'm guessing that people are just coming forward more and reporting this stuff. So Andrea Darling of the Criminology Department at Durham University in England studied this, and she said that women don't specifically enter a profession in order to access children. Remember how I said earlier, I wonder if Brittany went into teaching with this in mind, and it looks like probably not. Andrea Darling says, quote, My research has found that many of these women appear to abuse because of their own unmet intimacy needs, resulting from relationship problems and feelings of loneliness, for example. These women are also different from other female sex offenders in that they are generally older, more affluent, have a better social skills, and less issues with substance abuse, end quote. They have been proven, they, meaning female sex offenders, are less likely than the males to reoffend, and there are two types of sex offenders. The first is fixated. They prefer to interact with kids. They identify with kids socially and sexually. This will be like your classic pedophile. The regress type prefers social and sexual interactions with adults. If they do have sex with kids, it's situational and occurs as a result of life stress. This is what Brittany would be. Women are more likely to assault with another person or a group. Out of a sample of 227 female sex offenders, 46% of them offended with an other person. 
usually a sex partner, a husband, boyfriend, female sex partner. And most of them, not surprisingly, report some kind of violence in childhood. And they attempt to meet their intimacy needs through offending. One study found that female sex offenders were the kind of result of a dysfunctional adult relationship and attachment deficits. So there's something called attachment disorder, and it develops in young kids as young as one year old, in which they fail to bond correctly with a parent, with their parents, especially their mother. Attachment theory was developed in the 60s and 70s, and it says basically that parents, especially mothers, who are present and responsive to their kids' needs, provide the kid with safety and build trust. So the aim is a secure attachment. There are three types of what you would call attachment disorder or situation where the attachment process went wrong and the kid is screwed up. The first type is anxious insecure. The parent responds to the kid's needs sporadically. Like the kid's like um, maybe crying or wants comforted or play with me and the mother's like, oh, screw you or whatever. They're not always there. The kid can't rely on them. So the kid may become demanding and clingy and needy. And they grow up to be clingy and needy. Another type is avoidant insecure. This is where the parent has trouble responding to the kid's needs. This is like a parent who has no business having kids. They may reject demands, minimize the kid's feelings. So the kid will learn to shut down their feelings and kind of depend on themselves. This is the type of person who may have commitment problems later in life because they've learned to be self-sufficient, to not want to attach to somebody else because it didn't work out for them in childhood. The last one sounds like probably the worst one, and it's called di- it's called disorganized insecure. It's where the parents outright reject, ridicule, frighten, probably abuse or neglect also. The kid may become aggressive, and these kids may grow up into psychopaths or sociopaths. So, what about Brittany? Well, obviously, we don't know. I heard her attorney say that she was anxious and depressed, but that's kind of generic and doesn't tell us a whole lot. I would assume that she's going to have to participate in counseling in prison, which I think is a great idea. When she was giving her talk in court, her attorney mentioned something about Brittany was given a psychosexual assessment, which she, quote, passed with flying colors. Now, that is not a thing that you pass or fail. It's just what it is, an assessment of what, I guess, your issues are or your needs or whatever. This attorney sounds like a real piece of work. I have a feeling there was something in there when her stepdad was talking, and he said when she was 13, her dad got his mistress pregnant and left, and she was kind of ruined by that. I think there's something there. If she felt abandoned by a parent 
And they said her dad was like her idol or her best friend. And then all of a sudden, he kind of didn't want to bother with her after that. She very well may have these issues of abandonment. I'm, I'm just making a guess. I don't know. Maybe doing what she did was coping with this in a very unhealthy way. I don't know. But I do have the feeling that she wasn't like your typical predator. Like she didn't enter the education field in order to prey on children. I don't think that that was what happened. I kind of have a feeling that maybe part of her wanted to be 13 again. And she saw this 13-year-old boy and had some maybe feelings. And there's no way for us to know if she set out to seduce this kid all along. Like she wanted the end result to be that they would be actually be having sex or she meant it to be uh, flirting and it got carried away, which of course is still wrong because it should have never been happening in the first place. She pretty much was wrong at the get-go whenever she said that one day on their classroom chat thing, I'm bored, I'm at home, you know, talk to me if you're bored. That right there is inappropriate. And it's just a feeling or it's just a, a sense I get at, of reading all this stuff and thinking about it. I kind of do tend to think that when she said that, that they, you know, talk to me, I'm bored, that she did have Adam in mind. Because why else would she say that? She could not have been that bored. It's like, read a fucking book or knit or something. Those are my thoughts. And I'm real curious to hear your thoughts. Why do you think she did it? So next, that was a long one. That took a lot out of me. <laughs> you, you don't know how hard editing all that audio is. It's like a real pain in the ass. It seems like it's simple, like you just hit record, but you don't know how much I cut out. And it's um, tedious. But anyway, next week is a request. And this is something I am actually not familiar with. I've never heard of this person. So it'll be very interesting to see how this turns out. So I will see you back here next week. Class dismissed.